Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, tonight we're going to look into Daniel chapter 4. Uh, I've titled this one, Nebuchadnezzar's Descent into Madness, because he will descend into madness. And uh, we're going to pick up in a second at verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4. But just in case you weren't here last time or you haven't read this before, what we're looking at in chapter 4 in the first half as of last week is we're, we're listening to Nebuchadnezzar tell us all about his... He's given us his testimony of how he converted and made Yahweh the only God in his life. There's this moment now or this time in his life where he's telling us about a dream that he had. And this dream, he he doesn't know what it means. And so he calls in all of his magicians, Magi, the Conjurers, all those guys. And this time, remember, he does it different. Instead of telling them, you tell me what the dream is first, this time he just tells them the dream. And they can't interpret it, so they bring in Daniel. Daniel comes in, and Daniel interprets the dream. And the dream is the dream of a magnificent tree. And remember that the tree is very, it's flurry. It's got a lot of foliage, so it's a really good-looking tree. And it's got good fruit on the tree. Do you remember what I said about those things last week? It's a really a picture of the Garden of Eden, and we're going to put that piece together tonight. And so as Daniel uh, hears the dream, Daniel knows the interpretation. And Daniel is really shook up, and the king can see that he's shook up, and he doesn't want to tell the king the interpretation. In fact, he tells the king, I wish it was about someone else. I wish this was not about you, O king. He goes, but okay, Daniel, it's okay. Tell me what the dream is. Tell me the interpretation I want to know. And so Daniel starts to lay out the interpretation as Nebuchadnezzar is telling us the story. Now, in that interpretation, Daniel starts to tell the king that if you don't repent and acknowledge that God, Yahweh God, is the only God, because remember, Nebuchadnezzar, he dwells in a very polytheistic society where they believe in many, many gods. In fact, remember 1,197 temples in Babylon. He says, if you don't repent, you're going you're gonna to go crazy. You're going to go mad. And you're going to turn into an animal. And as an animal, you're going to be out there eating like the animals for seven seasons, or maybe consider it seven years, until you repent. But when you do repent, you will be restored. Your reason will come back to you. And so Nebuchadnezzar hears this, and the question that we ask ourselves in this part of the story is, did Nebuchadnezzar pay attention? Did Nebuchadnezzar repent? And if you know your Bible, you know he did not. And so we're going to read the did not part of it and what happens to Nebuchadnezzar because he will not acknowledge that God is the only God until some certain chain of events happen. So if you've all got your notes who need notes, we're good to go now. Look at verse 28. We'll pick it up there. And it says... Um, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now, the first bullet point you have in your notes is this. God is gracious and gives us plenty of time to repent. God is gracious 
and gives us plenty of time to repent. Now, in this text, how long, how much time has gone by since he got the interpretation? It's 12 months, or we know that as? It's one year. So now we see a year has gone by, and he has not repented, but God has given him time. Now, I'm going to go off on some different areas tonight, and when I get to the middle of this teaching, when he goes mad, I'm really going to go off on some areas that I will parallel society with, so you can really understand, because how many of you have ever said to yourself, how is society so upside down in its thinking? Has anyone ever thought that? Well, tonight we're going to delve into that right in the middle of this, and you'll see biblically why that is and where it's come from. But this very much parallels uh, the Garden of Eden, and then later on you'll see something else. So he gives them plenty of time to repent, gives them a year. Now, <clears throat> I, want to, I, I want to give you, a, um, how would I say this? I want to give you something to be able to defend your faith on. Because how many of you have ever been told, and if you're not, it will come up at some point. How many have ever been asked or told this question, how can a loving God have Israel traveling through the desert destroy that nation and that nation and that nation and that nation? Anyone ever heard that one before? How can a loving God do that? How can a loving God have them kill off all these people? I mean, and then what's your answer to that kind of a question? So... I'm going to give you the answer to that kind of question because it has, within our bullet point, God is gracious and gives plenty of time. I'm going to stay in that as I begin the answer to that question. So why would a loving God tell Israel to go destroy here and here? Well, when they're traveling through the desert on their way to the promised land, what you've got to understand first is the amount of time they have been given to repent. I'll tell you what they have to repent of in a second. And, and if you know, you've listened to me many times, you know what it is. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham that his people, Abraham's the father of the faithful. He's the first Hebrew. Hebrew means passed over, passed over the fertile crescent in the promised land. And so um, he tells him that your, your people for generations will be in bondage. They will go into slavery until the sin of the Amorites is fulfilled. Now, what he's prophetically telling Abraham there is that you're going to, we know it as they're going into Egypt as slaves. But a certain sin has to be fulfilled. In other words, a certain sin has to reach its boiling point. That's enough is enough. And so for 430 years exactly, as they were there as slaves, and they finally come out, now the sin of the Amorites, that sin is fulfilled. So God gives these people groups, as Israel's traveling through the desert, He says, destroy them, destroy them. He's given them how many years to repent? Over 400 years. So that's your first thing right there. Is God a gracious, patient God? Yes, He is. He gives them a lot of time. He gives you and I a lot of time, does He not? So that's the first thing you've got to look at right there. But then you've got to even dig deeper and you've got to find out, okay, how can a loving God destroy these people if he's this gracious God? Well, what were these people doing that God said, it's time to stop now? We're not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to let you do that anymore. And the answer is, and going back to the movie Nefarious, because it came up in that movie too, it was very clear. But the answer is that they were um, giving their babies to the idol Moloch. And you can jot this down in your notes, Leviticus 20, verse 2. God says in Leviticus 20, verse 2, do not, give your, do not sacrifice your kids to Moloch. 
And Moloch was this idol, and they would heat him up hot. His belly would be an open belly, fire coming out of there, and the arms, and he's just hot. And they would, I mean, burning hot. They would take their babies, put them on the arms, live on, these, on the arms of Moloch, and the babies would scream, you know, because they're dying now in agony, and they would beat the drums really loud as they're sacrificing their babies to Molech, and even the Israelites started doing this around the, in the south side of Jerusalem later on, and God was not happy with Israel. But these what these people were doing. And so God finally says, enough is enough, right? And he says, we're going to take care of this sin, and we're going to get this sin out of the way. Now, <clears throat> As you take this thought, and we all would say to that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that God would stop that right there. Now, as you take that thought right there, you say, okay, but wait a minute, you know, what's the difference if God's having them wipe out everybody here? You Christians say, you know, because we would equate that to no abortion, right? Abortion is wrong. 50 million babies have been killed in America in 50 years since 1973 in the world of 50 million, guys. 50 million. So, um, and so they say, well, you guys, you know, you're okay with these people killing off men, women, and children. What's the difference? Why are you telling us this when God does that? But here's where you got to know your Bible and, and read on where, and, and I shared this, uh, I think, I did this yesterday. I didn't know I was going to do this. And Bruce, you were there yesterday in the deacon meeting. I shared some of this stuff. But put your marker right here. Turn to your left to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Um, <clears throat> in Deuteronomy 7, watch this. And this is why you always have to read on. When somebody tries to bait you into a verse or two, read on and see what the whole thing says, not just what a little snippet says. Now watch this. I'm going to show you how, how they trap you. I'm going to show you how to get out of it and what the real truth is versus the lie somebody's throwing at you. It says in verse 1, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and shall clear away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And this is just one of these texts. When the Lord your God shall deliver them before you and you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. See, so the people will say, well, look, see, God says destroy all these nations, and they're destroying kids, and you're destroying babies, so what's the difference right there? But they stopped, didn't they? They didn't read on. And you got to read on in the text. Now, look at verse 3. It says, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Now, let's take logic. Logic says, if God says after this, let's destroy, the, destroy them, if God now says, but don't intermarry with, with their sons and their daughters, what now must you assume? Not just, not, not survivors. There's people that God said do not kill, right? And who are the people God said do not kill? It's the children. Don't kill the children because he's saying don't intermarry with the sons and the daughters, so now when you put the whole text together, you realize that God is saying destroy them, but not destroy all of them. God is not doing those things. But they will bring it and say, oh, see what he's doing? You've got to read on in the text. Now, a scholar, I cannot remember his name, but I was listening to a whole, a whole thing on this one time. A scholar did, it's his, like his area, and he went and he looked back at ancient texts and in background in those days, 
he found out that a lot like today, like let's say, um, let's say we were, Richard, let's say you and I were in a sport and when it's a two-on-two sport and, and let's play racquetball, which I can't play anymore because of surgery, so let's pretend I can still do that. And, and let's say we played two other people and we just, we beat them 21 to two. We would say something like what? Okay, don't say kick that. We killed them, right? Okay, we killed. Thank you for thank. You. Okay, we killed them. Did we really kill them? No, but it's it's a it's an idiom, right? It's a way of saying things, is it not? And and this scholar said it's the same way back then. The way things are written, it's like yeah, you kill them. You say well, you kill them all, but it's not like that. It's an idiom. It doesn't mean exactly that. It just means you're to destroy all these people. And then when you read the whole text, you find out they're not killing the children. They're not killing the little girls and the little boys. They're not doing those things. And so you have to balance the whole thing out. But let's go back to that idea again. And that is that they, um, their sin, the reason why God, if it was me, I wouldn't have given 430 years. Anybody with me on that one right there? I wouldn't have done it, but, you know, God is God, and so, and thank God babies, however they are wounded, hurt, they go to heaven because they don't know what sin is. Amen to that one right there? Now, <clears throat> I'm so off my notes, I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Okay, but, but thank God. So you have to ask yourself the question of this. Um, if God wiped those nations out because of the, um, the murder of, ba- of, of babies and children, how much time does America have? How much time does any country like that have? You just have to wonder, don't you? Because there's going to come a point when God says, you know, enough is enough here. You're not going to be doing that anymore. So it's kind of a scary place to be in, I think, for our country. Now, back to uh, Daniel chapter 4, and look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, the king reflected. Remember, he's up there. Uh, he, he's, he's, walking, he's walking on the roof, right? And in verse 30, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the, by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Now he's walking on the roof, correct? Yeah. I always like to say this. Uh, roofs, good for Peter. Bad for David and bad for Nebuchadnezzar, okay? You guys follow me on that one? Okay, so, okay, good. I just like saying that, so thank you for letting me say that. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's two mistakes in your notes here. First bullet point on the notes is this. He thinks he is the source of the creativity it took to build the city. He thinks he's the source of all the creativity it took to build the city. Look what he says. Look at the great city which I have what? I built it. I've done it. I'm the guy who did all this. So he's taking credit for all the creativity he built it. Now, the second bullet point is this. He thinks he is the goal of it all. He really believes he's the goal because he says, for the glory of my majesty. Look what I built. Look what I've created for the glory of my majesty. So he's saying, I'm the source, man. I'm the goal. I did all this. Now let me... Let me kind of track down into that right there. Keep your marker here and turn over to the New Testament. I want to give you a verse and I want to say some things about it. In Romans chapter 11. Go to Romans 11. And we're going to see this whole thing about the source and the goal of things and stuff like that. And go to, in Romans chapter 11, uh, go to verse 36. When you're in 36, say I'm there, just so I know. Okay, good. You're getting there. Um, It says in verse 36, For from Him, capital H, He's God, For from Him and through Him 
and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now look back at the verse. For from him, is he the source? Good. And through him, is he the sustainer? Okay. And to him, is he the goal? God is the source. God is the sustainer. And God is the goal of all things, of everything in our life. Now, let me read some. How many of you ever read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis? You've read that. Okay. This is really good reading for any Christian. It's a book you probably have to read like 10 times, sometimes over and over again to get what he's saying, but he's, it's really good. Now, let, let, me, let me read something from, from that book. He says this. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from movement to movement is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to His service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Did you catch that? In case you don't know what I just said, let me dumb it down for me, okay? Let's say my, my, my oldest granddaughter, she's old, she'll turn four in, um, in July. Let's say she comes up to me and says, Granddaddy, because that's what she says can I have $5 to buy you a present for your birthday? <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody? Can I have $5 to have a present? And I, yeah, of course, because it's going to be for me. You know? So I give her the $5, and she goes and buys that present. And then she comes back and gives me the present. Okay, let, let's, let's, let's be real. So um, <clears throat> what she really gave me was a product of what I already gave her, Right? She's not really giving me anything that wasn't already my own that I gave to her, right? That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Everything that we have, everything that we do, everything is just a product of what God has already given to us. Does Nebuchadnezzar understand that? He doesn't understand that one bit. He thinks he's the source, the sustainer, and the goal. He doesn't realize that everything he has was given to him by God. He thinks he created, and that's a dangerous place to be in especially when God's trying to get our attention on things like that. Now, let's go back and let's read on about what this guy does. Now, verse 31, it says this, chapter 4. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you shall be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place, place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Verse 33. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Looks really cool, doesn't he? He doesn't even finish the sentence, does he? Look at Babylon, which I have built my own majesty, and all of a sudden, boom, it's all removed from him. It, 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 God comes down and, in your notes, write this down, bullet point, his mind snaps. 
Okay, this is where I want to spend the bulk of my time tonight and as we progress on, on this idea of his mind snaps. All of a sudden, he goes from the king of Babylon and now he, and God says, enough is enough, guy. And he goes out there, God sends him out there, his mind snaps and he's out there in the field and he's acting like an animal for seven years, or we must assume. Seven years he's out there and he's kind of crazy. You look at different things and I, I shared the prodigal son story on Sunday twice and I have to do it again tonight. I didn't know they were going to coincide, but maybe we just need to hear it. When the prodigal son leaves the father, does his mind snap? I would say, yeah. You know how I know that? Because when he is sitting there wanting to eat the pig's food, he comes to realization and it says he came to his senses. So when he decided to rebel against his father, say, give me the, his mind snaps. Okay, hold that thought. When Jesus goes across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, to the demon-possessed man with the legion, and he casts out all the demons out of the legion into the pigs, and the pigs run over the cliff and go down the water, it says that the man was now sitting there in his right mind. So his mind had snapped, and then Jesus fixed that mind, and now the mind is thinking clearly. Are you following me so far on that? Now, why does a mind snap? What happens to a mind when it snaps? And when I say snap, don't think of the person only that's stuck in like the crazy house or whatever you want to call it, who just has lost everything up here. The mind can snap, guys. It can really go the wrong way. Now, watch verse 34, and then I'm going to get into this mind snap thing more. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So when he repents, look back at verse 34. What returned to him? His mind, his reason, right? Now, that Hebrew word carries the idea of intelligence, understanding, thinking, and wisdom. Intelligence, understanding, thinking, and wisdom. So when he repents, you realize he, before that, he lost his understanding, he lost his thinking, he lost his reason, or he lost his wisdom. His mind snapped. But when he repented, what happened? He got his understanding back, he got his thinking back, and he got his wisdom back. Correct? When he repents and turns back to God. Okay. <clears throat> Let me just show you why this culture is so upside down. Let me show you why the thinking is so crazy. You want to know why? The problem's been there since, since Genesis chapter 3. It's been there since the serpent tempted Eve and she sinned. It's been there. But I want to give you a biblical understanding of it because it parallels this. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Keep your mark here. Turn to Romans 1. Romans 1 is one of these great chapters where Paul really lays some things out. I'm going to try to piece this together for you. I want you all, not, when you're there, say I'm there, so I know you're all in there. Okay. Remember, don't lose the fact that he rebelled against God, his mind snaps, 
and he's acting like an animal. You got that? Okay, verse 21. Paul writes, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their, say the word, speculation, thinking. And their foolish heart was, say the word, it's darkened. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fool. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting little sequence right there. And here's what Paul is telling us. When a person rejects God, rejects God, doesn't want God in their life, that person, their mind goes into a darkened state. They profess that they are smart and wise, right? But in actuality, they are what? They're fools. They think that what they are saying is true and right, but in reality, it is a lie and incorrect. You ever run into that? You run into that all the time in society. It's all around you all the time. They think they're wise, but they're not wise. Now, piece it together now. Because I believe that Paul was specifically talking about Genesis 3 when he wrote Romans 1. I don't know how you could miss that. But when you take Nebuchadnezzar now in that whole dream, remember the tree has foliage, right? The tree has good fruit, right? The tree has, and then the dream has, you have Nebuchadnezzar who thinks he's what? He thinks he's God, right? And then he turns into an animal, but he could talk. Now, you take all that, you go to Genesis 3, you have a tree that looks beautiful with foliage, right? And that tree has good fruit, right? And you have a temptation that says, Eve, you can become a god, right? And you have a serpent, an animal that can what? Talk. So you see the parallels between that dream, Nebuchadnezzar, Genesis 3. Now you come to Romans chapter 1. And you find Paul over here, and he says, here's the problem. Here's where it all boils down. People, and we just read it, it says, they know there's a God. And by the way, Romans teaches, Romans teaches that everybody knows there is God. Everybody does. They can say they're atheists. They can say it all they want. But they know down deep in their heart, God says they know there's a God. They all know that. But he says, but Paul writes here, he says, the problem is this, is they reject God. They do not acknowledge God. Now, um, uh, I, I want to I I read a little bit more. It's not in your notes, but I, I thought, I better give you more on this. Now, look at verse, verse 22 again. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. Now, look at verse 23. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an, for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Who did they make God? Creatures. Of one of the creatures is who? Themselves. Mankind has made themselves God. This is your problem. That's the temptation that the serpent told Eve. Is it not? You can be a God. You'll know good and evil. Translation, you'll be the shot caller. You decide what's right. You decide what's wrong because you're God now, Eve. This is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1. They rejected God. They don't accept God. Look back at verse 21. Look in the middle of it. What didn't they give God? And 
And thanks, yeah, thanks and glory. That's right. They're not creating any kind of, I, I need you, God, I depend on you. No, mankind thinks, I'm self-sufficient. I've got the answers to everything. I don't need God. I'm not going to thank God. Mm. And so now, what's happening to humanity without God, you see, more and more today, they're turning into Nebuchadnezzar. The mind snaps, as it did in Genesis. You be a God, and the mind snaps. Look back at verse... Verse, where's it, where's it at? Uh, yeah, verse 21. Look at the very end. Their heart is what? Louder? It's darkened. It's darkened. We've all talked to somebody, and you're, you're laying out the truth and laying out the truth, and it's not hitting anywhere, is it? Because that mind is dark. The heart is dark. It's thoroughly rejected God. And it doesn't want God. And that's why they're thinking, because they become God, they think their thinking is right, but it's upside down. And you and I walk away going, I don't know how they can think that way. You know what's weird? The new atheists, and they call them new atheists these days, they say a belief in God damages your mind and mine. So they can't believe how you and I can think this way. You ever think about that? But the reality is we know what it says. And we know that their mind is darkened. They can't see it. They can't understand. They got their whole set of rules. Now, I wasn't going to do this because I thought for time, but I just want you to see it. Because like Nebuchadnezzar, man has become an animal. Can you see that? But we were all animals, remember that, huh? We were all like that before we came to Christ, before the the veil was lifted. But man has become an animal. Now I want to show you something. I want to take you in Romans, and I'm going to read like 12, 13 verses. Wasn't going to do it, but I think you need to see it. Because here's what happens when Nebuchadnezzar makes himself God and he becomes an animal, just like Eve, who rejected God and said, I can be a God. And that's that's humanity. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed, and I'm going to go fast. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, quick, I'm going to do commentary. Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When you talk to somebody, have you ever had somebody get really mad at you because of your stance on morality? Biblically, anybody? Because you know what you're doing to them? You are pricking their soul with the truth, and they have suppressed, verse 18, suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. They pushed it down. And once you start picking at it, it's rising up. Any amens? And they start getting angry about it, right? Yeah, they get a little bit crazy on you. It's because you're bringing it up. Why do you think the other side, you watch it all the time, they get so crazy, they get so angry when we bring up morality. Any amens? Anybody see, I think her name is Riley Gaines. Anybody see that one? 
Yeah, up in San Francisco, she spoke out against the women. Uh, real, they're actually men, pretending to think they're women. In, in female sports, and she spoke out against it. They were physically assaulting her. They were going after her to hurt her. Why does the other side get angry? Because they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And when we bring it up, it starts to come up, and they, and they have to use anger to push it back down. Does that make sense? That's exactly what's going on. Now, look at verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. I said earlier that every person who has ever lived knows that within them there is God in this world. Any amens? Everybody knows it. Everybody knows. They just won't admit it. Look at verse, now look at verse 20. This, the, for, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Look up at me. In other words, it had a, it had an inner witness. There is a God. And also, all they have to do is natural revelation. Look around the world. Look at everything. And they realize there's a God, right? That's all they got to do. But remember, they're darkened. It's all there. It's there for everybody to see. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Why do you and I come to worship? Why do we come to fellowship? We come to give thanks to our great Creator who has given us all things and we acknowledge who He is. He is sovereign in our lives. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. Glad you said amen. But they... uh, but they became futile in their speculations. Now they're speculating. And their foolish heart was, say it, it's darkened. So now they're living by speculations. Eve, you'll be a god. You get to decide. We'll deify your opinions. Whatever your speculation is, that's what is true. And that's why their truth changes about every 10 years, right? It's always moving around all the time. Now, but their heart's dark. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools, but they can't see it, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. They made an exchange. Let's get rid of God for, the, for an image in the form of corruptible man. They worship man. Man becomes God. And of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Those are idols that people make, and people make idols all the time. Now watch this. This is, this is the darkened heart, animalistic, man has become an animal. Look what the result of all that is. The rejection of God and man becomes God. And we deify our opinions. We live by our speculations. And we have a darkened heart. Watch this, verse 24. Does it make sense so far, by the way? Okay. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts. Because remember, their heart is darkened, right? It's dark in there. But they have lusts in there. Gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the, the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. We know what that is. It's the practice of homosexuality, which is glorified today, right? And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved mind. You know what a depraved mind is? A depraved mind cannot do what is right. There's no ability to do what is right. It's dark. It's dark in there. 
to do things which are not proper. So they're doing all this stuff because they become God and they glorify it and they think it's right. And that's our crazy society. But it isn't in there. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. See, we don't get off the hook on any of it, right? See, we can sit there and say, well, there's sin and that's the sin. No, look at all the sins. Look at all the sins because we've made ourselves God. Slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Here's the one that we, I think we, people need to, Christians need to see this. Although they know the ordinance of God, they know, they know it's right. That those who practice such things are worthy of death, means separation from God. That's what the word death is, the idea of. They not only do the same, here's the line, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Let me tell you what, I, I'm just so tired of hearing. When Christians tell somebody, and I'll just use homosexuality, because now it's so, everything's so legal and this and that, and they glorify it all. When somebody, homosexuals get married and they say, oh, I'm so happy for you. You're happy for them? No, Christians do that. They gave hearty approval. Do you really think they're happy? Does sin make people happy? It can't. Yeah, for a while, you're right, for a season. But not long term. And so we find more and more Christians today approving of things. I'm not saying to be obnoxious towards people. That's not going to win anybody over. But don't approve of it. Because when you as a Christian approve it and they think you believe the scripture, so I guess it's okay. But we've got to be careful with stuff like that. We have to be loving but firm in our stance. And every one of us faces these situations, do we not? We all do. We all do. Now, here's what, let me give you a, an example. Oh, gosh. Let me see how close, I'm close, I'm close, I'm So, the heart's darkened. Man thinks he's God. Man thinks he knows. And what he thinks he knows, he thinks he's right. But it's darkened. <laughs> it's like, um, in my world, uh, of my friends who are not Christian, um, I have some. Uh, I probably need more to try to reach them. But I, my, I have a friend. And one time... Um, and I've shared with them, prayed with them. And one time, I don't know, we're in a car and, and we're talking and, and he makes a statement. And he says, uh, I don't know how it came up. I didn't bring it up, but the Bible. And he said, um, I don't believe everything in the Bible. There's some things in there I disagree with, uh, some things I do agree with. And I remember I was sitting in the back seat and I thought, you couldn't even tell me who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. You couldn't even tell me where they're at in this Bible. But all of a sudden, you know what is true in there and what's not true. Is that crazy or what? I was like, 
I, I almost wanted to humiliate him on the spot, but I, I, that's not a smart thing to do. But I just wanted to put them to the test, man, just rapid-fire questions, and then turn to my other buddy and say, I'm going to show you how stupid he is. But I didn't do that, okay? <laughs> but I didn't do that. But, but I, I could have done that. But here's the problem with that whole scenario. My friend thinks he knows, huh? He thinks he knows, but he doesn't know because it's darkened. And I said, I walked away from that, and I, 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 and I started to draw some conclusions, and, and, and maybe you'll see these conclusions when you talk to people that are close to you that aren't Christians and have all these crazy belief systems. But I realized that, you know, in this area of his life, he is really smart. But the problem is, in this area, and 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 this area, as I've observed over the years, he's really stupid. Just dumb. Morally. Morally. It's just upside down. And I thought, that's exactly what we're looking at in Romans. He's made himself God. He thinks he knows. And that's our society today. When you talk to somebody today, they think they know. They think they're right but their heart is darkened and they can't possibly see the truth of God's word. I, I think Paul, connecting that to Genesis 3, I think he nailed it, didn't he? I mean, and then you go back to Nebuchadnezzar and you see Nebuchadnezzar's whole life fits right into that package too until God humbles him. Until God humbles him. Now, let's get back and let's finish off chapter 4. And by the way, we were all the crazy mind snap people out in the field before we came to Christ, right? You're sitting by a crazy person right now. I should say ex-crazy person. Okay. So let's not glorify ourselves and get too holy on that one right there. Okay, because, you know, I still have the feathers at home that were... No, I'm just joking. Verse 34... But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth, no one can ward off his hand. Oh my gosh, yeah, he knows that now. Or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason, remember his mind snapped, my reason returned to me, his understanding, his thinking, his wisdom. It returned to me. And my majesty and splendor were restored. Everything comes back. Because remember, the tree was cut off at the what? They left the stump with the roots. That's grace, is it not? We'll get to that in a second. Splendor was restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty. And surpassing greatness was added to me. Now remember, this all happened because he's acknowledging God. God. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Yikes. Okay, really quick. Bullet points. First one. He repents and his reason returns. He repents and his reason returns. Repentance simply means a change of the mind. His mind is now lit up. 
It's not dark, and you, it's a change of the mind. Now you can see clear, and you can operate in God's will according to God's word, not according to what you think. I'm so tired of Christians. Well, I just feel, you know, and I stay home and read my Bible. Well, so what? There's so much more you're supposed to be doing here, right? I am so tired of that post-COVID Christianity, my gosh. Anybody feel me right now? Yeah, it's like, Second bullet point, he repents and all is restored to him. Everything's restored. I told you the story of the prodigal son on Sunday. Everything was brought back, huh? The kid repents. You know, that kid's a grown man. Comes home. He all he thought he could be was a, 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 a hired hand. But no, God says, you're a son. Everything's restored. If you repent, if you repent, not if they repent and they, but if you, me, you, us individually repent, and change and walk according to the light of God's word, then things are restored. Here's the last thing. God hurt Nebuchadnezzar to heal him. And I think he'll do that. I'll I'll give you one last story. You've heard me say this if you've been in New Beginnings for any amount of time. You've probably heard me share this story. My, My dad, you guys all know, he was an alcoholic. And I mean, like, every day. Every day I'm coming home as a little kid all the way. And I prayed. When I got saved in 1979, I prayed, God, whatever it takes, save him. Because he's so lost. And years and years go by of that prayer, of that prayer. And then, at about the 10-year mark, in 1989, my dad has a stroke. And I remember I got the call because we didn't have cell phones back then. They'd call on the phone. And, and I, I was driving over. I didn't know if he was at Corner Regional or what used to be Circle City Hospital. Remember Circle City? And um, so I didn't know. And finally I found out he was at Corner Regional. So I got there. And I go into the emergency area. Not the one now. They have a real nice one now, but back the old emergency area. And I went into the room there, and my dad could not speak beak on the left side, he couldn't move the left side, he couldn't do anything. And, um, and so he's, talk, he's, talk, you know, he's talking funny. And, and I, I led my dad to the Lord right there in that hospital bed because I thought he was going to die that night. And we all thought he was going to die that night. And he, he was ready, man. He said that sinner's prayer and, um, and by... And I think six hours later, he had full function back. Um, but then we found out later he had another mini stroke, and they did exploratory surgery, and he had colon cancer. It was, it was, it was bad. His sister and I say this for whoever in this room: his sister and his brother all colon cancer. We all get checked for colon cancer. We, we, I'm not going to die of colon cancer. It's a slow growth. You don't have to die of colon cancer. Um, so, so he, um, I remember I walked in one time, uh, on my dad, and he'd had, remember those little black and white TVs with the antennas and stuff like that? <laughs> you know, my dad, he had one of those, and he was the guy when we go to Angel Games, had the transistor radio in his ear, listening to the game. Remember those things? Remember those days? Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm dating myself as right, man. Um, and I remember I walked into my dad one time, and back in the days, remember Channel 40? He was watching Channel 40, and I remember I walked in, and, 
And just now I led him to the Lord as a couple months go by and he's sitting there and, uh, and he looks at me and he's, he's got tears in his eyes. He's watching Channel 40 and he says, Jimmy, because you know, your dad calls you Jimmy, not Jim. You know, he didn't call me pastor, you know. <laughs> no, he calls me Jimmy. He says, Jimmy, he goes, why don't people love Jesus? I said, I don't know, Dad. I just don't know the answer to that one. But you knew that my dad had a genuine transformation, a genuine change. And he died. The doctor said he had six months to live, almost to the day. He lived one or two minutes past midnight, January 1st, 1990, and he passed. And, uh, but I know he's in heaven. I know he's in heaven. And it's like, so I can say, you know, whatever it takes. God hurt Nebuchadnezzar, but he healed him to that hurt. It's whatever it takes. See, we get so caught up in this little amount of time that we're on earth, huh? We think this is it. No, this is an eternity. And what matters more is that eternity. Because that's forever deal. This is just a short time. And if it takes pain and hurt for somebody to get saved in this life, I'm okay with it, man. I'm okay with it because I know there's an eternity waiting for them. Nebuchadnezzar, God heard him to heal him. And I'm sure he's happy about that now. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, there's, there's so much in your word. There's so much in this narrative, this historical event, God, this whole darkened heart and the whole parallel to Genesis 3 and Romans 1 and God and what you do to open up our eyes and we can see how the culture is so locked into this with this darkened heart and they've made themselves God and they've professed to be wise thinking they're right they've become fools and now we can see and understand why that is it's scriptural we see it but it's always been that way since the garden it's just more more um, in our face today but God we know that where sin us abound so much more does grace abound we know that we know that your spirit is working and working and working and working, God. And we do pray for this young generation to rise up, to rise up, save them by the tens of millions, God. We need to support them. We need to raise them up because they're coming after us. God, they're, they're the next leaders. And we thank you for them, God. God, we praise you. We thank you. And we honor you, God, as our only God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.